Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Why does James say self-deception? Here's what you want to write. Self-deception is substituting information for transformation. You know where we find this primarily? I wish I didn't have to say this. But in many, many, many of our Bible colleges and seminaries throughout the world, you know what the people are? They go in believers, they come out unbelievers. Because many of our seminaries don't even believe in the Word of God anymore. So they're being deceived. They got information coming out their ears. But there's been no transformation. All throughout Scripture, God encourages you to know His Word. His followers are to spend time contemplating what He has communicated. You are to ask the Holy Spirit to show you how to apply the teachings and principles of the Bible to your life. There's another side to this education, though. Pastor Mark is sharing the necessity of practical implementation of God's Word in your life. If you're not living out what you're learning, you're only doing half of what God has commanded you to do. Knowing God's Word without putting it into action is failing as far as God is concerned. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in Philippians chapter 4 as he continues his message, Godly Thoughts in Action. Unapplied truth is like unapplied pain. It doesn't do anybody any good. You see, the value of the paint is in the application. I can have the paint. I can have the brush. But unless I apply it, unless I absolutely apply it, It's useless. It's absolutely useless. Now, that sounds strange. Jesus and Paul are saying the very same thing. It's not enough to hear the Word of God. It's not enough to read the Word of God. It's not enough to even know the Word of God well. We must put it into practice. We must apply the truth... By obeying what we know, what we read. God is pleased by obedience. And yet there's many Christ followers that have this huge gap between what they know and what they actually do. Now there's a statement we're going to make a lot of times in the next 40 minutes. So I want you to write it. Then we're going to learn it. And then when I say it, I want you to repeat it with me. Here's what you write Application makes all the difference. Application makes 
all the difference. Would you just turn to your neighbor now and say, application makes all the difference. Come on, tell them, tell them. So when you hear this in our teaching today, when you hear this word, application, what are you going to say? It makes all the difference. Good job. Is that true? I just showed you it was true. Who told us it was true? Pastor Mark did. (laughs) Jesus did. Application makes all the difference. You can have all the other stuff, but if we don't apply the truth, it doesn't work. Now, I want to show you something. This canvas is actually the canvas of your life, of my life. And God is making you and I a beautiful picture. We don't know what it looks like. To us, sometimes it may look confusing. But God is helping us apply paint as we obey. As we obey... And God says to do this, you'll see this as we go through today, and we begin doing this with God's help, he's making our life fulfilled, beautiful, purpose. And only at the end of our life will we discover what our life really looked like. So God's at work in your life, if you're a Christian this morning, and mine. In obedience, the application is what begins to make me changed. Different. Now, Romans chapter 12, notice what Paul says. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. You see, application means transformation by the renewing of your mind. Now, I want you to write this statement down. I have this in the Bible, and you need to understand that. Lots of people think they're going to come to church. They're going to know the Bible. They can go on a short-term mission trip. They can become a pastor, whatever. And that equals maturity. Or if they've been in the church a long time, they're 74, and they've read the Bible 23 times, that's maturity. No, that is not maturity. Here's what spiritual maturity is. Three things. Number one, you have to have truth. You have to know truth. Truth then leads to application. If I do them, Jesus said, blessed are you when you know these truths, and then you do them. And then that results in transformation. When you and I got saved, God didn't say very much, here's your little ticket to heaven, see you whenever you die, I'll meet you there. No, he's in a process of transforming me to become like him. And so this thing called spiritual maturity involves truth. It involves me obeying the truth. And as that works, my life is actually changing. And I'm becoming more like Jesus. I'm thinking like him. I'm acting like him. I'm having ministry like him. And so understand, spiritual maturity is not measured by what a person knows, but how their life has changed. You and I should be changing every day. Now, turn to James, the brother of Jesus said the very same thing Jesus did. Shouldn't surprise us. Now remember, James didn't really come to know the Lord until way late. James chapter 1, there you are, almost to the end of the Bible. Book of Revelation, just sneak back a few chapters. James chapter 1, verse 22. Now when you get there, most of us, if you've been in church at all, you've understood the little first part of this, but we miss a key element. James 1, 22. 
Watch what it says. Do not merely listen to the word. And here's the part you want to underline. And so deceive yourselves. Do what the word says. Do you know, this is happening all over our world this weekend. Millions, if not billions, of so-called Christians are sitting in our churches and they're listening to the word. That's fantastic. I'm glad you're here. But it's not enough. Today, our world, like no other time, is drowning in information. We can listen to so much through all kinds of things. We can read. We have DVDs. We have computer programs. We have iPads. We can hear the Word of God a million different times. I mean, pastors everywhere. We can know Greek and Hebrew. We can do word studies. We can outline chapters in the Bible. We can quote Scripture. All of those things are fantastic. But unless the Word of God is applied in our lives, it's simply a collection of information. We become useless Bible scholars and often legalistic in the process. I know more than you. Now, let me just challenge you for a second. Be careful on Facebook and all these places. And I think they're fine. I'm on there some and do whatever. But don't get sucked into somebody somewhere. And, and they want to debate with you scripture principles. You go, oh, I got a live one on the line. Watch this. <laughs> and over days, you're spending hours debating back and forth. Very often, that person is doing nothing but sucking your valuable time. They're not going to change at all. They just want to bounce off information. Careful. What are the three priorities in life? Let's see if you remember. God, people, and what? The use of our time. So be careful. If you're led by the Spirit, fine. But be careful. But why does James say self-deception? Here's what you want to write. Self-deception is substituting information for transformation. You know where we find this primarily? I wish I didn't have to say this. But in many, many, many of our Bible colleges and seminaries throughout the world, you know what the people are? They go in believers, they come out unbelievers. Because many of our seminaries don't even believe in the Word of God anymore. So they're being deceived. They got information coming out their ears. But there's been no transformation. Careful. Self-deception. Amazingly. You see, get ready now. I'm cluing you. Sometimes I won't clue you. Get ready with the word. Let's see if you can remember it. Application. Oh, that was pitiful. Wake up. All right, I told you I gave you a warning. Where are you? Where's your mind? Are you on the cheeseburger? Come on back. Come on. All right, here we go. Application. Does it? Good job. I should take that guy right to heaven. Right now, he's good. He's good. Is that true? Yes, it is true. See, James says, if you don't do it, you deceive yourself. Now, we're going to take our shoes off, not literally. And we're going to put the sandals on of Peter. And we're going to learn from Peter today how this works. 
so that you'll have a practical application in your life. When change comes, when God speaks, how we hear, how we listen, how we, how we take the thoughts and put it actually into action, that we put it into practice. So if you will, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 10. You'll see where it is. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Boom. Acts chapter 10. And as we get there, we're going to walk through quickly this morning this amazing story of God and the way he works in our life. Now remember, you be Peter. You be Peter. Peter's the believer. He's a work in progress. All of us are a work in progress. So just put those on and watch for the transformation as he becomes more like Jesus. Acts 10 verse 1. Now at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion, what was known as the Italian regiment. And he and his family, all his family, were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need. And look at this. He prayed to God regularly. Let me have your attention. When we go to Israel, which we'll be doing again in August, we, we always go to Caesarea. It's an amazing place. Remember in the time of Jesus... Even now, in the early church, the Roman government ruled the world, specifically Israel. So here is Cornelius. He's a centurion. He's an officer, probably has a, maybe a hundred men underneath him. Now, we notice something very strange. Romans, by nature, were pagans. Zeus and Diana and all kinds of gods like that. But somehow... He had become a believer in the one true God, God Jehovah. And he was religious. He was a giver. He, he prayed often. But there was something lacking. He didn't know anything about Jesus. He didn't understand forgiveness of sins. He had partial belief. Well, what happens? Look at verse 3. One day, about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. And he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Now, what does that say to me? Here's a huge principle. The Bible tells us when, when a person is searching for truth and searching for God, if they really are searching, God will find them. If you're here this morning and you're searching for truth, God's already found you. He's got your attention. And see, that's a beautiful thing. Notice God doesn't only find Cornelius, but he knows his name. That's a good thing. It's personal. He knows his name and he gives him a vision. Now, if you're a believer in God, you've never had anything like this. How would you feel when an angel showed up? Well, we already know. Look at verse 4. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. And the angel answered, Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Let me just stop there for a moment. Do you know that God knows our prayers? Do you know that God knows our giving? Do you know that God knows the difference between knowing and doing? See, God's intimately involved in all the details of our life. There's nothing hidden. 
This man's searching for truth. And the angel says, some of the things you're doing, fantastic. God is honoring them. And I'm here to give you more truth. Well, look what he says in verse 5. Now send in some of your guys under you to Joppa. Joppa is about 30 miles north. We always visit Joppa too. And we connect these stories when we go to Israel. Now, now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon. So here's where you enter the story. Who is called Peter. And since they didn't have, you know, GPS or whatever, he is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. That's how you'll find him. Now, let me ask you a question. If I was God, I would have done something very different right here. But I'm not God. If I'm God, I'm sending the angel. And I'm, the angel is going to say to Cornelius, Cornelius, God loves what you're doing. Here's how you get, there's one thing you're missing. God sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you. And the only way you'll get to heaven is not just worshiping God. You have to have an in-between. Somebody that's paid for your sins. That person was Jesus Christ. He lived on this earth, actually in your country, that you're ruling. He was here for more than 30 years. And he died. Your people actually put him on the cross. And he was resurrected. And he's in heaven today. And I'm here to say to you, if you'll repent and believe, you can go to heaven. Now, see, I would have done that. That would have saved, why go to Peter, 30 miles away? Way better use of my time. Why didn't God use the angel? Who is God going to use? Peter. Here's why. Look at me. Only basically in the book of Revelation, toward the end, and we're all gone, does God use angels To share the gospel. So who gets the privilege. And who has a responsibility. To share the gospel. With unsafe people. Could I I see your hand. Could could I see your hand. Hold hold both of them up this morning would you. Are are you kidding me. And that means you. Does that mean you. Say yes. I was out yesterday. And I returned a shirt. Didn't fit. And the lady in the store recognized me from the day before or two days before whenever I was there, and I got it. So I went over, and we began talking. And about 10 minutes later, nobody was in the store at this point. She said, uh, whatever, and she was very kind. And I just began talking to her, and she says, you know, I said, well, I'm a pastor down here and whatever. And she said, well, I heard about the church, and all the people go to that church and whatever. And, you know, the reason they go there because they're searching for God. I said, you're exactly right. And I said, where do you go to church? She said, well, I don't go to church. Haven't gone to church in a long while. (laughs) Why was I there? Not just to return a shirt. See, I can have all the information I want here. But if I don't do what? Open my mouth. There's no application. So I said, you know what? God hates you. You know better than that. What the heck's wrong with you? And I left. And I said, I'm from the first church of... No, I didn't. I said to her, here's my card. Come visit us sometime. You might have gotten hurt, and I discovered later that's really what happened. But God loves you. And I'm here for a reason. Just to tell you, God hasn't forgotten who you are.
You see, guys, that's our privilege. But it's also our responsibility. So God is going to use Peter. Take a look what happens. Verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to do what? Tell me. Pray. Pray. Is that a good thing? That's a great thing. So Peter is praying. Peter's praying. Look what happens in verse 11. And he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth with its four corners. It contained all kind of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then the voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Remember, prayer is a two-way conversation. Take time to listen to God. Well, Peter's thinking, what I just see and what I heard is 100% wrong. Notice what he says in verse 14. Surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. So Peter says, no, this can't be God. I'm a Jew. I followed kosher all my life. Now remember... The Old Testament, the nation of Israel, was to be different than the people. And one of the things God did was give them different kinds of food. So it would differentiate them. Not better, just different. When Jesus came, we know that he and, of course, Paul later just said, everything's lawful to eat now. It's not about all that. But at this point, Peter goes, look, I've been kosher all my life. That stuff that came down the sheet, no way, I'm not touching that. So he's having trouble with thoughts. Well, what's God going to do? Look at verse 15. The voice spoke to him a second time. And not watch how God clarifies it. Peter, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. Verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision. I want you to write this. What's happening with Peter? Where is the battle? The battle is in our minds. Peter is trying to think, okay, this information came to me. Should I reject it? Could that actually be from God? No way that's from God. But he's having to kind of think about it. He's wondering and he's struggling just like you and I do something. Should I speak to that person? Is that really God or is that really just my flesh? And I, you know, I'm well, that's where the battle is. And notice that God was patient. He knew He knew that Peter's going to have a little trouble with this. So God was patiently in the process of renewing Peter's thinking. The new truth, look at me, the new truth is not going to be about clean and unclean foods. That's just the segue into the truth. The new truth is going to be that God sent Jesus for all people to be saved. Jews and Gentiles. See, the Jew at that point didn't believe the Gentiles would have any part of heaven. Today, Pastor Mark spoke about the relationship between your thought life and the behavior you display in your daily life. He also taught about the importance for every Christ follower to not just acquire information, but to put the information into practice. You learned that unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. The value of the paint, or of the truth, is in its application. We know social media is a big part of everyone's lives, and it's a great way to stay connected with each other. 
We'd like to add a little bit of joy and Jesus to your Facebook and Twitter pages, so come like and follow us. You'll be able to keep up to date with all the latest information about Pastor Mark, the Ministry of Lessons for Living, and the church behind it, Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links to connect. That's LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time, Pastor Mark will wrap up the teaching, Godly Thoughts in Action. He will continue to focus on the importance of corralling your thoughts. Becoming intentional in your thinking is critical to becoming a mature follower of Christ. You'll be given biblical guidelines on how to put into practice the instructions that the Apostle Paul has given. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Lessons for Living, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God bless you. And together, let's do life right. In a hurting world, a new hope he is giving.